Hello, once again, welcome back to the Gratuitous Possum Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Greyhawk. Uh, and I'm the ghost of Jack Snefflin. <laughs> now that we're past the Halloween season, I meant to make that joke all the way through and never did. Oopsies. Malin Margulis. Anyway, like I said, we are past the bracket. Now we're into, I guess, the brood spawn of the Bride of Monster bracket. We're going to do a few episodes where we're talking about whatever we want, because this is our show and not yours. And this week we're talking about The Craft Legacy, which just came out on demand everywhere last week. So it's from 2020. Yeah. We probably would have seen this in theaters to go along with this bracket if there was not all this happening. Yeah, if it was not 2020. Mm-hmm. To listen to this in the far future, wow, thanks. There, this is the year the pandemic happened. Mm-hmm. Also, for listeners, because this film is so recent, we are not planning on doing like a full summary as we normally would, and we are going to be talking about the film heavily, so expect spoilers. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage all of our listeners to go view it and then come back. If you don't have the time or funds or interest in actually viewing it all the way through, but you want to have a rough idea of what happens, imagine just an episode of Charmed and aim lower. That's not true. I liked it quite a bit, but I like that gag. I enjoyed it. I do have some problems with the film, but it is not unenjoyable to watch. I think that there is a lot of heart to it. I think maybe right now it's like $24 on demand. I don't regret paying for it, but like maybe wait for it to like come down a bit. If you, I'd say it's a ten buck movie. Yeah, this is definitely the kind of thing that I'll see in theaters as a, as a matinee. Yeah, or if you have some friends who all want to see it together, uh, maybe like toss five dollars each into it. That's probably fine. Mm-hmm. Not as a party. Don't go to parties unless you're all already in the same space. Yeah, I think here's probably a good place for the spoiler break. Yeah. So it shall be sealed and done, when all four corners meet as one. Okay, so, The Craft Legacy. Honestly, the first thing I want to mention is there's already some weird total dissonance stuff with the production card for Bloomhouse, immediately followed by the production card for Red Wagon. Like, they are two very different tones. Yeah. I know that we both thought it was going to be, like, more horror-ish because Bloomhouse, and that's kind of, that's their thing. Mm -hmm. They are truly the A24 of horror. It's honestly more, like, you could... Put this on like a fairly early time slot on the CW or whatever, ABC. Yeah, and it honestly doesn't really get scary at all until about an hour in. And even then, most of that is just Jacob sleepwalking? Yeah. Isaiah sleepwalking? Yeah, there's a couple jump scares and then there's some weird magical stuff going on. The original is a lot scarier. Yes. Um, I will say, you don't have to have seen the original one to follow most of the movie. There is a bit at the end that'll go, what? If you haven't seen it, and even if you have seen it, you'll still go, what? But, yeah. There's also a few callbacks to some stuff from the first film, uh, specifically Manon. But I need you to say it with me, Lily. In the name of Manon, I give you my power. Right, like, there, I did go, oh shit, when that got mentioned, so mm-hmm. there's that. I will say, there's a craft... Pretty good. I think it has some flaws or some stuff that doesn't work and maybe not like your go-to if you want to understand modern neo-paganism. But I think that a lot of parts of the story are very strong and there's some interesting stuff for toxic friendships. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. Most of my memories of the craft are vague. The last time I saw it was about 10 years ago at a watch party, mm-hmm. so I was not paying super close attention to it. The version of this that I got was on Voodoo. You can get this and the, and the original craft for like a bundle and save some. And sure, fair enough. Mm-hmm. That worked. I don't mind owning the craft now. Then the film opens up on a trio of young women. 
performing a Wicca ritual. Yeah, where the first one, it seems like kind of the abstract idea of what paganism is like. This one, I recognize what they're doing. Yeah, I, I would say that it is pretty reasonably researched, and even when like floundering through the ritual is very accurate to young practitioners, from my experience. Absolutely. They don't have a fourth to call a fourth quart, so like, hey, can you, can you just do it? And then they kind of squabble over who has to. Tabby, can you just pretend you didn't summon the southern spirits and do the spirits of the west? What? No, that's whack. I already did mine. Well, someone needs to. It's not going to work otherwise. Hey, look, if we're going to be honest here, the spirits of the West have kind of been messing shit up for a while what? now, so why don't we just leave them out? Very realistic, that tract. Later in, when they do get their fourth, they're bringing her into the fold, and she doesn't know all of the liturgy stuff, so they just kind of like lean over and whisper it to her as they're in the middle of ritual. And then, like, yes, that is also very accurate. We transcend time. We suspend fate. We bear the three keys. Oh, we open the triple gate. We open the triple gate. And also, I have done some of those chants of Pagan Pride Day. We have the elements in a different starting place than I'm used to. That was weird to me, but I still like, ah, yes, I recognize the earth, the air, the fire, the water, return, return, return. That warm the cockles of my cold, dead heart. So that happens. Then we cut to our protagonist, Lily, and her mom in the car driving. There's a U-Haul trailer behind them, so we assume they're, like, moving. Uh, and there's some vague conversations about changes and this being weird. Yeah. Her mom, Helen, is marrying Adam. Or marrying? Moving in? Shacking up with? I'm not... I'm never clear what, where that all is. I think it's they're moving in together in preparation to be married. Yeah, because they've, they've met before. This is the first time meeting, but there's still kind of this, like, weird tension. Like, it seems like it happened kind of fast. Yeah. As we later learn, there's probably some more to that. Also, I think one of the things that told me exactly what I was getting into for the movie is Alanis Morissette comes on in the car and Lily and her mom start singing together. I'm like, okay, so this is going to be the craft by way of Gilmore Girls. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I'm here for that. Yeah, I was totally down for that. And the first hour of the film was exactly that and it was very enjoyable. Mm -hmm. This is a lot um, softer than the OG The Craft. Like, it's gentler, I think, overall. Like, it is raunchier, but it is also less, like spiky. The ways that it's raunchier are just kind of a willingness to accept the lives that teenagers lead in 2020, as opposed to, we gotta make this dark and gritty. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, it's not made in the 90s, so I get it. Yeah. Although sometimes it feels like it. Jonto, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, yeah, get, to we'll that. get to that, yes. We will get to that. We meet Adam's three kids who are very important to the narrative, and you'll definitely have a strong sense of who they are as people by the end of this movie. <laughs> Uh, they, they could have condensed the suns down to probably one or two. I will have thoughts on that later, but let's get through some more of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So Lily starts new school. Has her, I'm not sure if it's her first period. I think so. I know, it's in the middle of the day, maybe like third or fourth period. God damn it. <laughs> and is mocked for this, but the other girls of the coven are like, hey, we're, we're going to support you through this and kind of give her a bit of a safety net. So she's not entirely isolated through this, which is really cool. Yeah, it was... Honestly, heartwarming to see. Mm -hmm. The female friendships in this are great. I love them. I love all the girls in this. They're great. Mm -hmm. uh, and so she now has friends. I'm going to sit with at a lunch table, even though she's being harassed by the abstract idea of, of a bully from Teen Wolf. <laughs> it's very, very true. <laughs> like, the platonic ideal of, of a shitty dude from a teen drama show. Yeah. Those three happen to be the same three that were doing the Wiccan ritual at the beginning. They bring Lily into the fold. 
in the next day or so after they realize that uh, her powers are awakening and they're able to communicate with her telepathically while she's in detention. Mm -hmm. A power that comes up many times throughout the film and solves many narrative problems. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) They wind up magicking up and unlocking a new level of magic they've never been able to, which was time stopping, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Although one of the trio, I think it's Frankie, getting down on one knee and asking... Lily... Give me your hand. Come on. Will you be our fourth? It really seems like she's inviting Lily to their polycule. It's not not that. (laughs) I will say, I think around here is this fucking amazing moment to me. So they're walking through the woods and Frankie is talking about like magic and and womanhood and, and how like you know, we grow, we grow children in our wombs. That's that's womanly magic. And another one of the girls who is trans says, "Hey, not all of us." And Frankie's like, "Shit, you know, point taken. My bad, Lou." And holy shit, this is a ongoing debate within actual pagan communities, place of trans women in like women-centered rituals and all that kind of stuff. And to see a broadly made-for general audience directly address that and handle it really well was amazing to me. A girl got called out for being trans-exclusionary, like, apologized with grace, and then everybody moved on, and it was fine. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Also, I immediately had the question of, okay, so we have a trans character. Is she being played by a trans actress? And she is. Hell yeah. Uh, Zoe Luna. Mm-hmm. Who does not have a Wikipedia page like the rest of them. Yes, unfortunate. But hopefully that changes soon. Right. Also, while we're here, all the actresses do a good job. Uh, no complaints there. Honestly, Lily's acting is really great. She has some pretty hard scenes. Mm-hmm. Does a good job with them. Oh, yeah. I believe all these characters. Honestly, I want more of Frankie, though. Frankie has this, like, very bubbly energy. She seems like the abstract idea of several different Origins of New Black characters having a flashback. She's played by Gideon Alden. I think she does well with what she's given, but I do think that Frankie is the worst written character. <laughs> yes. I think she's maybe set up to be the new Nancy from the, the original one, where he's a bulk character who kind of like goes bad, but that doesn't happen, so she kind of doesn't really have a lot See, to do. See, I thought that as Lily was probably better for that. You're right, but because Lily's also the newcomer, it, yeah, it's a little messy. There's not an easy one-to-one analog for all the characters. Which I like. Yes. Um, there is hashtag the black girl, admittedly, who has kind of a one-to-one analog, but... I do think that she is a much more well-rounded character Absolutely. In this time around, and she is kind of the de facto leader of the four of them. Mm-hmm. While they're clearly very non-hierarchical because they're a coven, and this movie has kind of a stance of unjust hierarchy is bad, There's like a mm-hmm. theme in this. Yeah. Uh, she kind of has a grounded energy to Frankie's the McCoy and, and Lord's the Spock. She definitely feels the most responsible of them and the most willing to introspect and ask, are we doing the right thing? Mm -hmm. I think we should take a break from magic. If we're not going to use our power responsibly, then we shouldn't be using it at all. Speaking of doing the right thing, they decide they're going to put a wokeness hex on the shitty guy I mentioned earlier. And oh boy, it is incredibly cringy. The hex, fine. But Timmy being woke? Yeah. He is trying way too hard. It feels like he is adopting this persona in order to get into their pants. Yeah, I really thought this was going to be an act or something. It does yeah. not turn out to be an act. Yeah, the film makes you feel that way about him. He's just like way too over the top. And then we get to the turn slash reveal for Timmy. Mm-hmm. Turns out he has the buy and had an affair with... Not an affair. <laughs> brother number two. Uh, brother number one. Sure. He's written down as number two because that was the order they were listed on Wikipedia. <laughs> okay. Uh, Isaiah, he's the one with the floppy hair. I believe he's the oldest. 
Yeah. The unintentional outing of this character is a major plot point that we follow up on thoroughly and fully deconstruct through the narrative. You keep bringing it up. Do we just want to talk about it? No, no. We'll get there. I'm going to milk this. Fair enough. So yeah, Timmy comes out to the quartet and it's honestly a really good scene. Yeah. Like, the film made me care about Timmy, which is something I didn't think it was going to be able to do. Yeah, his name is Timmy. <laughs> So he does a few scenes of like him being a woke bro that feel very cringy, but like wind up kind of bring him into their... He becomes part of the squad. More or less, yeah. <laughs> not, for, not part of the covenant. I thought they were going to go there. That would have been really cool. No. Oh, well, it's fine. When they have kind of like a two truth and a lie thing where he opens up about all that and it's a really good scene, really well acted, really well written. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Also, I really appreciate that Tavi mentioned how... I wish I had more black friends. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry we don't really get to like dig into that, but also get that there's other things happening. It seemed like a pretty direct comment on the first film, and it's fair. It is a pretty common thing for the one black girl to not have any other black friends in a narrative like this. Mm-hmm. Speaking of solidarity, we kind of skipped over it, but during the montage of the, the kids just playing with their powers for the funsies, there's a bit where Lords messes with some, some guy who's being homophobic to another queer-coded character, and they're like, yay, solidarity. That mm-hmm. was nice. Also, we skipped over the bit where um, where they talk about being Twilight stands, and I'm like, this is this is 2020. So I had like a series of notes after that, <laughs> and I'm like, is this a, is this a period piece? Are teen girls still into Twilight? I guess fans of the film, but those came out like eight to twelve years ago, so she would have been like ten or less for Breaking Dawn Part Two. <laughs> yeah, I, I really thought that when Frankie says that she wants to use the, the shape-shifting powers that they're eventually going to get to turn into Kristen Stewart, that was her way of saying she's bisexual. I don't... <laughs> that's what I got out of that. Yeah, like, I understand teens being obsessed with Kristen Stewart. That Like, that makes total sense. Absolutely. But being, obses- but being obsessed with Twilight specifically in 2020 for teens seems weird. And I think it's time to dig into that now. <laughs> These teens are emotionally complex. I will applaud the writer and also director, Zoe Lister-Jones. She made these teens very emotionally complex and felt like real characters, but a lot of the slang and some of the references that they make are very much coming from a woman who is 38 writing these characters. Mm -hmm. I really wish that she got someone under the age of 30 to go through and like, Hmm, kids don't really say, like, dope and whack anymore. <laughs> yeah, definitely an element of... How do you do, fellow kids? What's going on? Yeah. Honestly, if it had been a period piece, that would have been fine. Yeah. Just said it ten years ago, and then, yeah. And to be fair, there's nothing that actually specifically dates this film other than, like, Twilight and um, Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson. I think a thing that honestly specifically dates it is Lily not having to have Lords' transness explained to her. The fact that she, as a teenager, understood it, already got it, and didn't have to like learn about it feels like a thing that would not have been a thing 10 years ago, honestly. Yeah, and I think that's where some of the disconnect is coming from. It feels too woke to be a period piece, but it feels too hokey not to be. I think if it was made five years ago, I, I might get a pass. So it might have been the script was written about five years ago, and then it just took a while to get there. Mm-hmm. This movie was made pretty fast. It started, fil- uh, started filming like in October last year. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some, just some weird stuff with some of these kids, but like it is broadly pretty the same tone with that weird, so I'm fine. Yeah, they're not it. like bouncing all over the place. Like <laughs> They never go back to even older slang. <laughs> right. Like, it's all pretty consistently, like, late 90s, early 2000s slang. And, like, 
No one like used a specific reference to Roxanne Gay's Twitter as a, a point of plot, so it's not too over the top with being woke stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was super into them introducing a bisexual teen character and getting to like unpack what all that means, and then he gets killed off screen. <laughs> not yeah. here for that bit. <laughs> yeah, it's initially everyone thinks it's a suicide, and the quartet's like, "Do you think that we're sort of responsible?" And then Lily confesses to performing a sort of love spell on him. I will say she kind of doesn't explain it very well. It was less of a love spell, more of a, like, a summoning spell. Yeah, like, I want you to come see me tonight. Yeah. There probably was some, like, intention under there that had some effect on things. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt so I can keep liking the character. It is a little squicky on consent, though, which is frustrating because this film literally has a consent PSA in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like They're in sex ed class and watching one of those terrible sex ed films. It's actually when we first find out that the woke spell worked because Timmy calls out one of his classmates who's just being a dick. Oh my god, shut up, Jeremy. Okay, thank you, Timmy. No, I'm, I'm sorry, it's super inappropriate. It's like, can you please send him to the, the, the principal's office already? I mean... He's making so many people here uncomfortable. Yeah. Like I said, I think it is unclear enough of the specifics that it doesn't make me nope out of the film. So, yeah. Yeah. And then after that confession, Lily is kind of pushed away from the group. They decide to bind their powers because they aren't using them responsibly. Mm-hmm. And then Lily goes through some shit. Mm-hmm. She sees her stepdad doing this, like men's cult thing yeah and talk specifically talking about timmy as being weak yeah we haven't talked about how her dad david Duchovny, is playing functional jordan peterson yeah like tyler jordan meets jordan peterson it's weird (laughs) yeah lily then finds out that her mom is not her biological mom Mm -hmm. she was adopted and has not been told about it Mm -hmm. she's secretly a palpatine and so that distances her from her mother, and then at the funeral, her mom comes to try to talk to her about things, and she pushes her away, like, with magic. Mm-hmm. Witnessed by the other girls who are like, ooh, that's not ideal. And that's when they decide to, to bind, bind their powers, mm-hmm. all of them. And then her mom comes to talk to her about the adoption and the powers and whatnot. And then it's revealed it's not her mom talking to her, it's David Duchovny in disguise. Aha, mm-hmm. uh-huh, that shape-shifting Chekhov's gun they, they set up earlier. You can definitely pick up on it at a certain point in the scene, but at first it seemed like it was just her mom revealing she knew all along, and that honestly worked for me. Like, it, was, it was a good, subtle, slow reveal. Yes, I uh, think I specifically wrote in my notes, like, I did not see that coming. Mm-hmm. It was set up well, it was revealed well, like, that was a very good way to do a reveal that doesn't feel forced or fake. Yeah. And specifically, he's trying to get her to give him her powers, but to learn that's how he, like, got some of his other powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably some other which giving them to him. Yeah, and she specifically has to give them up willingly. Mm-hmm. So that's all happening. Lily gets kidnapped by her soon-to-be or current stepdad, and we see the other trio. They're hanging out in Timmy's bedroom. Uh, Timmy had a Ouija board, and the ghost of Timmy contacts them to tell them that he was murdered. Mm-hmm. They then go rescue Lily from the kidnapping, and then they burn Adam, the stepdad, alive. Yep. <laughs> Pretty fucking metal, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that fight scene is a little underwhelming. Honestly, the whole third act of this film is underwhelming. It feels like they had to like pack a lot of things in pretty fast. 
Yeah, like, this film is only 90 minutes, which is on the short side. Mm-hmm. It just feels like there are a bunch of things that they set up and don't use. And then as soon as the hour mark hits, there's just this explosion of plot threads that weren't really seeded all that well to begin with. Mm-hmm. Like, I really wish we got more of Adam and what exactly his his books and his masculinity stuff is all about. Like, we get bits and pieces, but never anything really concrete. Mm-hmm. Which would be fine if he's a lesser character. Like, if we were supposed to give the abstract idea that he's a shitty dude, and maybe he would get broken up with by the end of the movie. But because he's the main antagonist, we probably needed yeah. more of that. Yeah. And more of it earlier. Yeah, and we get her three stepbrothers, which I think, take all of them, they have a combined total of, like, six or seven lines. One of them is a, like, hashtag moody teen boy, so his whole role is to go, and then walk out of the room, so that doesn't help. Then there's Jacob, who is best friends with Timmy, and so there's a little bit of tension between how Timmy used to be and how Timmy is towards the end of the film. Uh, And then there's the youngest, who is pretty much there to act as an example of his father's indoctrination. Mm -hmm. I think that in a longer movie, we could have made these characters work, but because they only have a few scenes each, we probably just need to smoosh them together. Make just one son. You could do all that you need to with just this one kid, have him wrestling with his dad's masculinity and also his feelings for Timmy, and then have Timmy's whole thing about not telling anybody, not because he's best friends with Jacob, but because he's a part of this masculine cult and homophobia. Yeah. It could all be fine. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, there's also very little indication for the adoption thing coming out, and it, like, it just comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So the reveal, after all is said and done, Lily goes to meet her mom, who it turns out is Fariza Balk. A reveal that is, ooh, a reveal, but nothing else. If you haven't seen the original movie, you're like, who is this? Why is this the no we're ending on? Why is her mom glaring at her? This is kind of a downer ending, given that her mom doesn't seem to be like happy to see her. Yeah. Okay. We should also point out that, like, Frieza looks very, very different than she did in the craft, and so at first I didn't even recognize her. Mm, I could tell it was Frieza because it said in the credits, uh, Frieza as Nancy Downs. <laughs> yeah. Also, because of the way it's shot, I really don't think that at any point Kaylee Spaney, who plays Lily, and Frieza Bulk were ever actually in the same space. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that COVID-19 hit this movie kind of hard. It probably would have been in production around when that was starting to get bad. Yeah, I mean, if it started filming last October, then they might have been able to finish principal photography within a few months before COVID really hit, but they probably would not have been able to do reshoots if needed. Mm-hmm. And it's being filmed in Vancouver, so you have to worry about winter, so that's probably going to cut down some of the time available. If there was, say, like maybe like some sort of a delay or one of the actors, especially the kid actors, had to be away for a bit, that would have slowed things down too. Mm-hmm. My guess is that like there were probably more scenes with the brothers, but like one or all of them had to be busy with something. I, I assume, I actually know, but... It also feels like this being a Bloomhouse production hamstrings it a bit by like forcing it into some scary scenes. Like there's the Isaiah sleepwalking scene that just doesn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. There's Lily's coming home from school after her first day and she hears a woman screaming and then she walks in on her stepbrother watching porn Mm -hmm. and like that doesn't go anywhere nope it feels like this is a blue house production so people need to be tense and be wondering okay when is the scary stuff going to happen and it never really does but they play around with the audience expecting it 
Mm-hmm. And the magic is kind of sparkly. It doesn't have that kind of like just broodiness. Broodiness, the su- like the subtleties you might get from like the original Craft or some of the later Harry Potter films. American Horror Story Coven coming to mind. It's a lot of like sparkly stuff. Things glow, which honestly. I'm kind of okay with. I actually really like it when magic glows in things. I think this wasn't necessarily the best place for it, but I'll allow it. I mean, to be fair, like, there's not a whole lot of glowy magic. Like, a lot of it is kind of just, like, effects happening around them. There are some glowy effects, and they're fine. With Bloomhouse, a lot of the their productions tend to have a very small budget, mm-hmm. uh, and it doesn't feel like that with these effects. Yeah, they look fine. It's not that they look fine, it's that the tone of them is different from necessarily the tone of what you would expect from a Bloomhouse flick, so there's kind of some incongruity there. Yeah. There's just a lot of stuff in here, especially with that third act, that kind of doesn't get paid off. Like, there's a bit where Lily comes home to find that her jeans have been washed. We never find out who washed those jeans, even though it's a whole scene about her going like, Mom didn't wash my jeans, so who did? There's so many dropped threads, and they just replace them with new ones in the third act and try and pay them all off there. Mm-hmm. I have a theory about this. My theory is that for whatever reason, this either wasn't going to be a The Craft movie or it was going to be a direct remake instead of like a, a sequel. Because this is kind of a sequel. It's definitely the same universe. Yeah. Um, it's sort of a sequel, sort of soft reboot. Yeah. But at some point in the creation, it became a sequel. So they had to find some way to bring in somebody. And so they brought in Frieza Bulk as Lily's mom and that kind of got written in hastily or or something along those lines because it feels like it was just sort of added in. Mm-hmm. I don't think it really adds anything to the narrative for her to be adopted apart from like a reason to be mad at her mom but honestly the idea that her mom just knew she had powers and didn't say anything would probably be fine for that. Mm-hmm. I have seen that in many things. I want to get into themes now and I think another way that this film just kind of falls a little short it is specifically attempting to talk about toxic masculinity and specifically uh, the relationship of toxic masculinity with young women Mm -hmm. um, and how it affects them whether it's from their peers or from their parents or authority figures yeah and i just don't think it really does a whole lot with it like it wants you to feel like it has but there's so little of it we spend so much time with the quartet kind of just building their relationship and friendship up and then exploring Timmy's change afterwards. Mm-hmm. But it, we get very little of Timmy reflecting on who he used to be. And we get very little exploration of Adam and what he's doing with his Jordan Peterson shit. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like um, the bit where Tabby says she wants to have more black friends. Like it, the movie brings it up, but doesn't actually take the time to really dig into that or have the characters do much with that beyond just kind of tacking it on. Mm-hmm. To avoid too many spoilers, this is also a theme in Black Christmas that came out last year. Honestly, very similar movies. And that does a better job because that is the whole through line of that movie as opposed to one of the themes. Like this has queerness, this has female friendships, this has magic as a thing, magic and power, all that jazz, and also this masculinity, and that's kind of too many things for it to all handle in an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And it tries to tie the toxic masculinity stuff back in with the magic by making Adam tr- the main antagonist trying to steal Lily's power, mm-hmm. and talking about power as order and that only men are able to wield power. Like, it, it's definitely interacting with the patriarchy and men trying to uphold it and specifically being afraid of women gaining power. Mm-hmm. But like, it just all of that happens within the last 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And like his rhetoric is 
along those lines pretty throughout because they have to save the reveal that he knows about magic and has designs on lilies. He can't be too specific with talking about magic and power and that kind of thing. So the rhetoric link is there, but it's tenuous link. Mm -hmm. And there are some scenes that I, I do really appreciate, like showing the subtle toxicity and abuse of Adam like there's this one scene at dinner where it's like dead silent and everyone is afraid to talk because Adam is there mm-hmm. and they don't want to earn his ire yeah. and I've been at some of those dinner tables and it that scene felt very real mm-hmm. and I I wish there was more of that throughout I wish that we had more of an exploration of Adam. Like, even if we just got a scene or two of Adam trying to bond with Lily and there's some being some weirdness there or him feeling ungenuine. Mm-hmm. We get a little bit of that when, like, she's sleepwalking and with the family crest, but it's also him dropping uh, To Be Continued, which alludes to him being aware of the text that Timmy sent to her that night before he died. Mm-hmm. Or if some of his rhetoric kind of got to her, and that's kind of how she gets a bit overzealous with her power use. Like if she's like, you know what? I do have my own power that I should take things in my own hands and stuff. And also the idea of that that would work a lot better, the reason for her to kind of go a bit to the dark side than because she was mad about being adopted. Not to downplay the stresses of finding out you're adopted and like handling it in whatever way you need to, but I think that would have worked better for the narrative and not have the kind of reveal. Mm Mm-hmm. I do appreciate the significant change in having an outside antagonist from the group as opposed to one inside of it. Absolutely. I'm so glad the girls are friends at the end. That is such a huge, nice change. And I'm not quite sure how I feel about Adam side of commenting on that during the final battle where he's like... You see, that's the thing about girls with power, Lily. They're always too weak not to use it against each other. Like, in that context, it's specifically talking about her friends binding her powers. Yeah. But it feels like some commentary on the first film for growing these great female friendships and then tearing it all apart. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are pros and cons to how the first film do. I know that there are ways that works really well as being about breaking up with friends who are hurting you, but I get where the movie's trying to come from is saying that it doesn't really have that happy of an ending. I don't know, yeah. yeah. I think... There's kind of too much happening with his villain speech. It seems like we need to cram all the different ideas in. It should have, like, one through line. Maybe just the, like, power and order thing. Yeah. I really think that if this film was able to be two hours, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the problems would have gotten solved because we would have been able to ease the transition into the third act. We would have been able to either explore some of the plot lines that we kind of ignored from earlier in the film, or maybe just another editing pass to cut those out so we get more time trying to do some stuff with Adam and make him a more well-rounded character before he becomes the antagonist. And I think also just giving them a red herring would have helped. Like, you can set up Adam and then also have a red herring so that you feel like it may not be him. Yeah. Or honestly... Cut Adam from the narrative, you know, or reduce him to just like a, a fairly minor role. Still keep David Duchovny, who doesn't love David Duchovny, but like, I think if this was all just the teenagers doing stuff, if the first half of the movie was 
the girls bonding in this coven and the wokeification of Timmy and the second half was just dealing with the fallout of Timmy's death. Maybe even keep the like the murder thing in there if you want to. I mean, honestly, I at first I didn't think it was Adam who murdered him. I thought it w- might have been Isaiah. Yeah, maybe that's what you do with it. Like dig into that. That could be really uh, heartbreaking too. Honestly, having it so that one of Adam's kids buys into his rhetoric too far and then him trying to come to terms with that and second-guessing what he's been espousing Mm -hmm. could have been really interesting. Exactly. Um, Especially if, like, one of those kids, I don't know, got their hands on the craft or whatever. I am glad that this is a movie that doesn't have a only-women-can-do-magic thing. Sometimes that's not the greatest thing in the world, but I think that... It might have been a more fun way to bridge that if it wasn't just Adam whose magic maybe only comes from women. It's a little unclear. Yeah, there's also just a lot in this film that's very Battle of the Sexes-y. Mm-hmm. And it just, it feels very blunt about it. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. But it's not so blunt as to be cartoonish. Like, there's not a bit where David Duchovny or some other well-known, very lovable actor from the past who has now aged a bit has a rant about gender misogyny while wearing a, a silly pagan mask. And then a bunch of girls with various weapons burst in and attack his frat brothers. I really like Black Christmas. It's very funny. Apparently <laughs> that's what, it's, what this episode's actually about. I will say, I don't fully get why... Helen is marrying this guy, or is interested in this guy, there's some implications that his rhetoric has worked on her, that he's kind of done some stuff with that, like some mind games and things, but also, it might also just be magic. I don't know. It's Maybe that he's specifically targeting Helen to get to Lily Mm -hmm. for her power. Yeah. I'm not saying that it is utterly unbelievable that a woman might buy into this, but Helen seems a little bit more put together than I imagine that would happen with. Yeah. I don't know. To be fair, it does seem like at the beginning he's putting on a very different front than he does towards the end. And there is some tension after that reveal. Like, they have a fight about how he disciplined Lily. Yeah, that's fair. I think it would have made more sense if we just got a better sense of their relationship, but we don't really see a whole lot of them. Mm-hmm. Like, we mentioned, like, Teen Wolf earlier, and there's definitely quite a bit of that where the adults are just gone they're they're nowhere to be found <laughs> all the adults very conveniently have jobs from about 2 p.m to 8 p.m so so the kids can do whatever the fuck they want <laughs> or like you were saying earlier a scene of adam and lily hanging out so that we kind of see what that relationship is like so we were like okay i can totally believe that he would be lovable enough for this woman to marry mm-hmm. also like lily's kind of suspicious of him from the start like there's never a like Oh, wow. I'm so excited that these two people are getting married. There's kind of just like a, hmm. I'm not necessarily saying it's suspicious. It's more of just uncomfortable. Yeah. I think it's like it's just moving fast, but she sees how happy her mom is and she wants her mom to be happy. Yeah, but I think it might have been better if she was like overjoyed by this guy so that the turn is more heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying I want this woman to suffer more, but I, I think that would be a better narrative. <laughs> wow, I sound like Joss Whedon. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Speaking of Joss Whedon, I, talk, I mentioned Charmed earlier. I think this would have been a lot better if it was a, either a miniseries or the start of just a series. Yeah, honestly, I wanted more from them. Like, this does really feel like a series opener to, like, set everything up. Two-part or three-part episode mm-hmm. to bring everything together and... Then we just get more adventures. Yeah. And honestly, if they do that, like, if COVID-19 finally passes and they're like, hey, the craft made us some money... Hey, you girls, do you want to all come back to Vancouver and be witches for two to five seasons? I would be hella into that. Like, honestly, the girls were the best part of this. I want them to just keep having 
wacky misadventures with their powers. Yeah. Like, we do have a lot of criticisms of the film, but they don't necessarily uh, make it so the film is unenjoyable. Mm -hmm. It's just that it could have been better. But the fantastic core of this film is the relationship between these four young women. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the reason I'm so critical of it and the the structural things is because it's because we want to see it do well. Yeah. We are critical because we want this to succeed. Mm Mm-hmm. And I want more things like this. I want more kind of honestly fluffy movies, like fluffy magical narratives. Mm-hmm. I feel like there aren't that many like kind of fun fantasy flicks mm-hmm. uh, that have come out recently. Yeah. I do foresee the problem which happens with a lot of these sort of like magical, magical women shows is just it gets bogged down in its own lore. It's so refreshing that they didn't do that here. Like there wasn't a whole bunch of lore, like where the powers come from and everything like that. It was just like, these things exist. This is how they vaguely work. And that was fine. Mm-hmm. There is some structure, but honestly, that structure seems more like that's the structure that came from this one book. Probably other structures out there. This structure is different from the structure from the original The Craft. So I'm guessing it is very much a in your head thing. It's a very soft magic system. And I honestly appreciate that. Mm-hmm. If it lasts longer, we might need a few more rules, but it's fine without that. I think that's about all that I have. Yeah, I think there's probably more to unpack here with this, but I've been pretty thorough with this. Mm-hmm. Broadly speaking, to summarize, pretty good, not bad. B minus. Yeah, a B, a B minus. A B minus. Room to improve, but definitely put in a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find much when I was researching earlier, but also it only just came out, so there's probably not much out there. I really hope that somewhere someone was like, yeah, here's what we were going to do, but then COVID-19 hacked it up and they released the original script or someone just talks about like, here's the rough draft of what it was going to be like. I I want to know what the original plan for this movie was, if there was one. Yeah. I'm definitely interested in seeing more from Zoe Lister-Jones. This was her second film that she directed and also wrote, the first one being film from 2017 called Band-Aid, which is about a woman and her husband trying to get through their marital problems by turning their fights into songs. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. There's definitely a strong feminist bent with the things that she's been creating, and I am interested to see where that goes. It could definitely end up being very heavy-handed. I can see bits and pieces of that here, but it can also be very interesting. I'm not quite sure the causes for some of the weirdness here. Mm-hmm. There are parts of this that I think are actually pretty solid, pretty good for where we are in time. It seems like she's at least listening to voices of people who are not just cishet white women. Mm-hmm. Good on her for that. There is definitely a benefit to there being 101 level feminism stuff. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in here that was, to me, like, objectionable. There were no backsteps, just some stumbles. Yeah. Like, there's just a, a few points where I'm like, that's a little unnuanced, or mm-hmm. that was a little white feminist-y. A little bit, yeah. But there weren't a lot of them, and they were relatively minor. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, that like the use of the barrier gaze trope, I'm not super into. That could have been better handled. I'm glad I don't have to give a queer teen suicide trigger warning for this, but I think that element could have been done differently. Yeah. Uh, Oh, speaking of being heavy-handed, one thing that I think doesn't actually work but still definitely had me cheerful because I was in the right mood for it. Right before the fight starts, the girls are showing up to defend Lily from David Duchovny. It's like, girls ought to be careful in the woods at night. A lot of weirdos out here. 
And I'm like, say it. Say the line. And I think Tabby's like, We are the weirdos, mister. Yes, they said the line. Yes. So this is this is definitely a fun movie, but it's got some structural problems. If you are a fan of the original craft, you will probably really enjoy this. If you were looking for something in that charmed, which is of East End sort of vein, this is probably going to scratch that itch for you. Mm-hmm. And I think there's nothing super objectionable that you couldn't show to your kids if they're like 14 or whatever. Oh uh, yeah, kind of... like this is definitely a film that you can just show to teens, probably going to resonate with at least some of them. I'm sure this is going to be a staple sleepover movie for some folks for a while, or at least I hope. I don't know how the distribution model will affect that, we'll see. Yeah, I'm betting that there are going to be a lot of moms who really enjoyed the first craft showing this to their daughters. For sure. And this might also be at least a few people's first time seeing a trans character in a narrative that wasn't about her transness. So honestly, good on it for that. Mm -hmm. Her transness came up like once or twice, and the first time I didn't even catch it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a bit where, yeah, talking about cramps, you're like, can't relate, but that does suck. And I know there are people who will be like, this is a, did I mention I'm trans thing? But also that is exactly how we're like, so. Yeah, like there's also, I know women who don't suffer from period cramps at all. So I'm like, okay, well, good for you that you don't have that debilitating horribleness. And also, like, normalizing that as a thing could have also been cool. I think we've exhausted the things to talk about for this film. Mm-hmm. We stretched out a single 90-minute movie to our usual runtime, so. Yeah. Honestly, I wish this movie had stretched out a little bit more. So. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll see what comes of it in the future and what comes of stuff like this in the future. Yeah. I, I know uh, looking at the critical reviews as of right now, which is still very fresh, but they were hovering around the 40s. Ooh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely understand why. Like, the structural problems are definitely there, and, like, professional critics are going to ding it for that. Sure. But I think for what the movie's trying to achieve, it does a pretty good job of it. So So I think that about does it for this week. Uh, What do you have coming up next week? Well, we are finally headed into the Samara Waving Power Hour. We've been talking about this for a while. We were watching Ready or Not and the Babysitter, joined by special guest Mike Knoll, who would not let us have him on for this one. Yes. I'm going to say a thing that is perhaps a very on-brand thing to say. <laughs> I've watched Ready or Not two or three times this year already. Truly, Ready or Not is the Moana of 2020. <laughs> that is very on-brand. <laughs> Oh, speaking of Moana, the trailer for Raya and the Last Dragon looks very interesting. Oh, fuck, I haven't seen it. Oh, you should do that. We're watching that after this. Also, Uh, listeners, you should go see it. It looks interesting. uh, Link in the description. (laughs) Also, Over the Moon is really cute. It definitely has that, like, uh, experimental period of Disney feel. Mm, Um, But, like, you know, pretty good. I don't know. I liked it. So, next week, expect a double dose of Samara Weaving. Mm Mm-hmm. And after that, I believe we have a double feature of Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You. And after that, I believe we have a double feature of Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. But if you'd like to catch those episodes as soon as they go live, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and wherever you catch your pods. This has been the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.